Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. Here, you will find recordings of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your Bible study, to replace your weekly church attendance, or to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. Go to church for that. This podcast is for members of my class who happen to miss a week here or there and don't want to fall behind. But before you listen to this episode, you may want to go to teachings.gym314.com and download student or teacher handouts, as well as any PowerPoints, so you can follow along visually and see what we saw in class, as well as take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app. I'd recommend Overcast. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Now, let's head over to Romans. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Romans uh, 15, in fact, Um, and walk back through where we've kind of been so far in Romans. So we're we're through the bulk of the book. Uh, We've got today's text. We'll finish up this seventh major section of Paul's closing, and then last week he kind of does this summary in this doxology, or next week he does this summary in doxology, uh, and we'll spend a week there and then a week in review, and then we'll be done with Romans. It's a craziness that we will have gotten through this gigantic letter. So uh, I will ask you today to make sure that you have a copy of the Bible in front of you. Not necessarily while I'm reading, but at some point during today's lesson, everybody needs to have their own. And I've got two copies on the table. So I've got a uh, a big uh, whole Bible ESV, and then there's a like a stapled copy of Romans. So if you if you do not have a copy of the Bible, I want you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you today, (coughs) because we're going to look for a couple of things uh, that may be interesting. So, all right. So let's start reading in Romans 15:14. It's the beginning of this big section about Paul's closing, and we'll go all the way through 1623. Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, may be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that... From Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in in passing as I go to Spain. 
I did it again. Thank you, Sean. You, now it's in my head. <clears throat> I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. From Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if, if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. And greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Androconus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, <clears throat> and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Patrobus and Hermas and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and to create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. We're getting close, guys. We're getting close. All right, so if you've got your hand out there, go ahead and grab your hand out, and we'll take a look at what the words mean. I apologize for my voice. This, I don't apologize for my voice this morning. My voice is raspy because my sister got married yesterday, and we celebrated. So um, we are thrilled beyond measure to have uh, Jeff Fawcett uh, in, and his two boys in our lives now. So we are much grateful for God's grace and the story of grace that was there 
meeting in uh, union yesterday. It was a beautiful thing. So, so you get a raspy voice because I had fun. So. There we go. All right, so uh, literary and structural observations. So uh, just want to make sure we understand. So the, the last week's lesson and the week before were all the people that Paul was shouting out to that he was writing to. So Phoebe, when Phoebe shows up with the letter, say, hey, to this person and this person and this person and this person and greet and embrace and enfold in the arms and do these things. And the people we see in today's text are the people that are with Paul. So there's two sides to this letter. It's the people that are sending from and the people that are sending to. So just want to make sure we understand which side we're on. So today we're on the, these are the group of people that are hanging out with Paul and helping him do what Paul did. Uh, all right, so let's uh, look at the words. What do the words mean? So I appeal. Uh, what's that word there in Greek? Anybody know? Parakaleo. And this is the word for what? Anybody know? The paraclete. The, this, is the, this is the verb, parakaleo. And the noun, paraclete, is one of the ways that we describe the Holy Spirit's work. This uh, comforting, this exhorting, this I always think about it as, as putting your arm around somebody and, okay, we're, we're here, we're going to get through this, we can do this, away we go, and that's what we need in God to comfort and exhort us. And this is what he's asking <clears throat> the people that he's writing to, these Romans, to watch his brothers, the Adelphos, to watch out. Now, the Greek word there is skopeo. Uh, and if, if, you, if you were to drop the O and then pronounce it, scope, what does it look like? Yeah, like a periscope or a, Jay, I'm looking at you. There you go, a scope on a rifle, right. And, and the blank here is to take aim at or to spy. And, and like we are looking out for it. And if you, if you find yourself looking through a scope, it is not because you are not paying attention. It's because you are paying attention. You are paying hyper attention. It is, I want to really examine and understand exactly what is going on here so that I get what is being said. And he's saying, watch out, scope out, mark, take heed, mark those who cause or do divisions. Dicostia. Dicostia. The This idea of dissension or sedition. So there are people, have you ever met these people? Um, <clears throat> Um, there are people, and where are these people? It's like they have, they have invaded. There are people who create divisions. They, they just enjoy messing things up, right? There are people who just want to watch the world burn. Like they, they just want to, we call them anarchists, right? And I think it's pretty close, actually. I just want to drive a division. I want to drive a, uh, a sedition and create obstacles. I want to create a scandal on, a snare, an offense, something to stumble over. So remember, we, we talked about this before in Romans 9 and Romans 11 and Romans 14, this, that we should be passionate about not putting stumbling blocks in each other's paths. And here we have people who, like, they are trying to go actively do this. So if you want a mark of a believer... A mark of a believer is to try to remove stumbling blocks. A mark of an unbeliever is I am trying to introduce stumbling blocks. So this is a very, it's a very, it's a very careful thing that we need to be looking for. And sometimes it's hard when you, when you hear some theology or some doctrine being taught and you go, well, is that true or is that not true? Well, here's, a, here's one test. Does this create a stumbling block for believers? If it does, well, time out. Let's... Let's examine, let's scope in, let's really hone in and check out and see what this is. So 
For those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary, opposite to, the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, has Paul taught any doctrine to this point? <laughs> Just a little. So, so maybe he would want to end with, if somebody's coming along and preaching something different that we need to scope them out and be very, very careful with this, right? So that's, he, he, the timing of this particular warning, I think, is, is beautiful. So watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid, and this is an imperative. This is um, deviate from them, shun them, decline, uh, go out of the way. So this is not rationalize with them. This is not negotiate with them. This is not, uh, you know, I think America has a, I think America has a philosophy of we don't negotiate with, you've heard this quote, yes. Yes, we don't negotiate with terrorists, right? Which is why you don't negotiate with your children. Because when you give them choice, they become terrorists. Sorry, this is my, this is my parenting advice from Alton Brown a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I took... I took Caleb to go see uh, Alton Brown. He's a, a, a chef, foodie guy on the Food Network. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a whole episode of anything he's ever done. Caleb is smitten with the man. And, uh, and he talked about how if he was a food god, he would remove uh, children's menus from the face of the earth. And that uh, children would eat whatever the parents ate. That would just be the way it was. Because when you give children the option to have a choice, you create terrorists. And you don't negotiate with terrorists. So this is just not a good parenting plot, which I thought was radically fantastic advice in the middle of this man who did really weird things in the Tivoli. So, <clears throat> all right. Got Alton Brown out of my head now. All right, so verse 18. For such persons do not serve, duleo. They are not servants like Phoebe was last week and like Paul was in week one. They are not servants of our Lord Christ. Okay. So if they do not serve Jesus, do, the, do these people sound like Christians? No, because Christians what? We serve Jesus. That's exactly right. Okay, so just want to make sure these are not, oh, these are false teachers that have swept in, and, and they're just, they're believers. They're, they're really good people. No, they're not. They're pagans. Okay, so let's just be, let's call a spade a spade. They, they do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve what? They serve their own appetites, this hollowness, this cap, which is really sad because that's what they're going to end up with. They're going to end up with a hollowness and an emptiness. And through, Dia, through smooth talk or fair speech. Uh, and, and you've heard people that were really good speakers that just had poison to share. Right? I mean, this is... Some things don't change. Right? And this is 2,000 years ago. And this is still the case. So by smooth talk and flattery, uh, flattery uh, eulogia. The, the blank there for you is eulogy, E-U-L-O-G-Y, eulogy. Um, this idea of the elegance in language and commendation and, you know, somebody could just really lay it on thick that is laying on garbage thick. So smooth talk and flattery, they deceive, they seduce wholly, they beguile the hearts, the cardia. <clears throat> but not the hearts of everybody, just the hearts of the who? The naive, right. And, and another way to translate this word is simple. This is a very, it's a very similar word to the Old Testament word in uh, Proverbs of 
the simple man does this. And the simple, this is the unlearned. This is the person who's not very well aware. They've got one perspective on life, and it's uh, ill-informed and immature and not well thought out and not reasoned. It is very, very simple approach to life, which some things it's good to be simple, but not, not about your ability to discern truth from error. So they deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience. So now he's going to, so, so we, we, we dip down emotionally. Now we're coming back up emotionally for your obedience. Your submission is known to all, which is fantastic, right? Cause he's about to tell them who some of these all are so that I rejoice over you. I, I am joyful. I am rejoicing. I am glad. I am happy. I am full of cheer. I am full of cheer over you. But I want or I wish you to be wise as to what is good or beneficial and innocent. And this is not the same word as, as up, uh, earlier. This is a different Greek word. This is unmixed. This is the idea that there's not, your doctrine is not like 99.9% really good and then a little bit of uh, poison which is actually what rat poison is. I don't know if you know this or not. But if you, if you go to the store and buy a box of rat poison, like 99.9% of it is fantastic stuff. You could actually eat it. There's just a little bit of stuff in there that will kill you dead. Right? This is the way my dad described it to me when I was little. He said, don't eat that. It'll kill you dead. And I thought, is there another way to die? <laughs> I don't know. Not really sure, but okay. I think, I think it's not good there. Um, but the idea here is that I want you to be unmixed as to what is evil. You know what is evil. There's not a, oh, I'm wavering a little bit. I'm not. I want, you're unmixed. You're very clear, 100% convinced as to what is evil. And then he comes in verse 20 and he includes this really weird verse. Because he's talking about, look out for people that are causing divisions. These people are not believers. Here's what I want you to do. And then verse 20, the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's like, well, uh, theological whiplash? Maybe? I don't think so. Because I think what he's saying here is I think he's connecting the driving impetus of those that are causing division as being who? Satan, right? So, so Paul is saying, and sometimes he does this, but many more times in the, in the Bible when he's writing, he will start with, the impetus and he will build toward what the actual outcome is. But here he actually starts with the outcome and then he tells you what the driving force was. So he says, the God of peace will soon crush. And this is future active indicative. And indicatives are statements of fact. This is not up for debate. Now, going to Spain was an indicative. But that was Paul's plan. Crushing Satan is God's plan. <laughs> Thought you had me there for a second, didn't you? Yeah. It's beautiful stuff. He will soon, he will tacos. Uh, oh, here you go. Tacos. It's tacos. Like, that's how you say the word. So, it means time. It's, who would have thought, right? This is what... All right, I'm just going to let your brain go with that for a minute, and I'm going to pull you back here in a second, okay? <clears throat> he will crush Satan. He will completely shatter. He will crush completely. He will break into pieces. He will be broken to shivers. I love that. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds awesome. He'll be broken to shivers. Shiver me timber. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like, right? I don't know. Um, this is fantastic. Broken to shivers under 
your feet. We will get to participate in this somehow. And I will say, thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to participate in this. That is pretty awesome. And then he ends with this little phrase, the grace, the charis of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're going to come back to that phrase here in a minute. And then he launches into uh, kind of round two of these people. And these are the folks, again, that are with him. So Timothy, this is honoring God. This is a guy. If, if you, okay, if you didn't know Timothy was a guy, that's probably um, <clears throat> like Bible study 101. Uh, his father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. So he was all kinds of... <clears throat> he could actually talk to anybody because of his heritage. My fellow worker, my co-laborer. This is the same word that was used back in 16.3 and 16.9. He greets. Now, you remember what the blank is here? I said it earlier. I kind of dropped a hint for you in case you had forgotten. To enfold, E-N-F-O-L-D, enfold in the arms, right? A spodzomai. And this word's used over a dozen times in Romans 16. It's like the theme of Romans 16. Greet, 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 salute, greet, embrace, greet, greet, greet. It's just amazing. So Timothy greets you, and so does Lucius. And Jason, one who will heal. And Sisipater, savior of his father. And my kinsmen. These are my kinsmen, my sinjis, my, my relatives. So verse 22, I, Tertius, and this means third, who wrote this letter. You're like, well... Hang on, Jim. Now, you have been relatively consistent in saying Paul wrote the letter. Okay, we're going to get to this. Paul was the one who was inspired by God. Tertius, here's your $10 word for the day, was amanuensis. And amanuensis was the person who physically wrote the stuff down. Because you could dictate faster than you can write sometimes. And there were some people who were just really skilled at handwriting. So how many of you have really good handwriting? And you know who you are. Just own it. Just own it. Come on. Just own it. Thank you, Darla. So, yes. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes. Uh, that was a joke. It's okay. Um, There's a I, lot of people who don't have Yeah, exactly. Darla, you want to preach on this for a second? Yeah, so some of you don't get your prayer requests uh, prayed for in the way that you thought that you were wanting because your penmanship is so uh, janky. So, like, you got to... <laughs> You gotta, we gotta do a little better here. So, so if you look at the penmanship and you show you, your, your prayer request and you show it to somebody next to you at the table and they go, I'm not sure what that says, let them write it. Okay, just let them rewrite it. And then Miss Darla will type it properly because we have, yes, and you do sometimes. And oh, that'll be really good. So hang on to that. We'll use that here in just a minute, okay? All right, so I, Tertius, who wrote, who graphoed, who wrote this letter, this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So Tertius got in there. That's fantastic. Which I kind of feel like if you're going to write 16 chapters of one of the most complex theological, philosophical documents in the history of the world, you ought to get a shout out. So that feels good. <laughs> so Tertius, and don't discount the little stuff because this job needed to be done well. And it was. And it's really important. <laughs> How many of you at this point in our study of Romans are thankful that Tertius did his job well? I am thankful Tertius did his job well. And I can't wait to give him a high five one day. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'm going to grab some water while we do this. Yes, maybe so. 
Absolutely. Do you remember in one of his letters, uh, maybe you remember which one it is, he says, uh, see how big a letters I write with my own hand? We think that's where he actually picked up the quill and wrote some. And that penmanship would have been different than Tertius's penmanship. Exactly, right? This is, that's about as good as I can do nowadays. My dad's hand started to shake when he was about 40. And my hands start to shake. Uh, my grandmother actually stopped writing things when she turned about 80. She couldn't stand her penmanship anymore because her hand shook too much. She's like, that's just not... She used to teach penmanship when she was an uh, elementary teacher. She's like, this is not, this is not me. I'm just not going to do this anymore. So she would get somebody to write things for her. And we don't know if it was Paul's eyes or some other issue or maybe his hand shook. I don't know. But he needed somebody to write this stuff down for him and... Tertius was his man, so this was good. And then we come to verse 23, Gaius, <clears throat> Lord, male, uh, who is host. He is the, the, the host of the, to the stranger to me and the whole ecclesia, which is, if you're going to be host to the whole church, you may need resources to do so. You may need a physical space large enough to accommodate. Uh, so if if, if you happen to be able to host a large number of people, thank God for that and use that for God's glory. Uh, if you are not able to host a large number of people, thank God for those who do. Uh, but we, we shouldn't look down on somebody because they have uh, physical resources to do things because things can be used for God's glory. So he hosted the whole church. They greet. They embrace you. Erastus means beloved. Uh, the city treasurer or overseer or we think some kind of a fiscal agent. Uh, there's actually a, uh, uh, a marker uh, in, uh, around Corinth that talks about there was a city treasurer named Erastus who paid for a road out of his own funds. So we, we think this might be the same guy, maybe the same guy. Uh, and then our brother Cordus. Anybody want to guess what Cordus means? Fourth. So we got Tertius and we got Cordus. Looking for Quintus here next, I guess. Uh, it was a math joke. It's okay. It was a bad math joke. Sorry. <laughs> Our, our brother Cordus, they greet you as well. So any repeated words there? I actually think I gave you a blank this week. What's the great repeated word? Greet. greet, yes. Sorry, I can't even get the blank out without telling you what the blank is before asking you what the blank is. All right, so just a couple observations of the text here. Um, several of these folks in, verses, uh, in verse 21 we think show up elsewhere in Acts. Uh, and, and it's a good thing because Paul lived with these people. He, he worked around and with uh, these people. It was a good thing. So, all right, so I want you to look at your copy of the Scripture. You're looking at your copy of the Scripture. Everybody looking at it? All right, <clears throat> so here's what I want you to do. If your copy of the Scripture looks a little fuzzy between verses 23 and 25, raise your hands. No, no, don't just like, oh, I'm not so sure. Like, raise your hand. Like, I am confident I am confused. All right, Miss Carrie, why are you confused? You don't have a 24. What? What? What do you mean you don't have a 24? All right, so if you're, if you're one of those people that has a verse 24, I want you to pick up the Bible that's on the desk, I mean, it's on the, the table there, or that paper copy, and I want you to flip back to Romans 16, and, or find an ESV, and look for Romans 16, 24. Because where did it go? Oh my goodness. What should we do? What do we do? What do we do? 
Drop, drag and drop. <laughs> drag and drop from footnotes. That is one option, yes. I'll give you that. All right, so um, the ESV is what? Is missing. All right, so that's an interesting way to describe that. I'm going to come back. I'm going to circle back to that one, okay? <clears throat> now, what are our numberings of the Bible based off of? Anybody know which translation uh, got, kind of got out of the gate first and got really popular and pretty much everybody standardized on that particular version's numbering, and we just kind of all bounced off of that ever since? Yes, yeah, King James is a really easy answer, right? So King James Version of the Bible, uh, written originally in 1611, revised about four or five times after that, uh, used a numbering system that was already in place in 1611. It had been used for uh, several decades before, but it was very, very popular because uh, the guy who funded it, anybody know what his name was? King James, yes. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start off with easy questions this morning. Uh, the guy who funded it was okay with lots of copies being made. Like it was, it was, it was written in a style that was supposed to be said out loud. It was a oral reading Bible, which is not the way some of our modern translations are written. Many of our modern translations are written for private consumption. The punctuation and the, um, the phrasing is written so that it makes sense when you read it quietly to yourself. The King James is written in a way that it is supposed to be read aloud. The, it works very, very well that way. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> are you aware... So let's do a little uh, primer on... Uh, just a little primer on uh, Bible translation. So what, what do we have right here? We have a what? Is there another word for this? An autograph, yes. There we go. Because um, if, if you had a copy of... Did, what, is there a famous document that this man wrote? There's a, a few of them, right? And if you had the original and he signed his name at the bottom, would you have something very valuable? Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah you would. And the National Archives would want it bad. Well, actually, they'd want it back, is what they'd want. Um, that, would be, that would be better. Um, so this is what we don't have of Romans. We don't have the actual document Tertius wrote on with Paul's signature at the end. We don't have the autograph. And I would propose to you that this is a good thing, because if we had the actual document, do you know what we would do with it? We would pray to it, and we would worship it, and we would get burnt sacrifice, and we would do all kinds of stupid stuff, because this is, we're stupid. We do stupid things. Um, we would worship the creation more than the creator. So we got autographs. So we don't have the autographs of any book of the Bible. We don't have the autographs. But this is okay, uh, because we have something uh, better. What do we have? The breath of God. Right? And God doesn't waste his breath. And this is a good thing. So God is speaking to Paul, breathing the words into Paul. Paul is saying the words out loud. Tertius is writing the words down. What Paul is getting is inspiration. What Tertius is getting is dictation. And what we get is... I think, yeah. It's like the gospel. We get the Bible. We get uh, actual words which are really good. Now... Uh, if, you, if you flip through history books, you will see these types of settings. And sometimes when you watch a movie that's set uh, a couple hundred years B.C. to a couple hundred years A.D., you will see some type of a setting like this where these people sitting around documenting and writing and there's somebody kind of talking out loud. Well, this is an amanuensis at work. And the plural is amanuenses, 
when you have groups of them. And this is what would happen when you copied a letter. So let's say you got a letter like Romans, and you instantly realize, um, we need to make copies of this, and we need to send this around. What you could do is you could take one copy of it and put it in front of one person and have them copy it over. It's a very inefficient way to do this. A much more efficient way to do this is to have a group of amanuenses, and you are going to stand and read it to them or show it to them, and they all copy down the letter. And what you end up with every once in a while is a variant. Does anybody see the variant? Yes. Is it easy to tell which one's the variant? Well, yeah, because I put them all on top of each other. Well, the font's too small, right? I mean, but other than that, um, right here is your variant. And what I did this morning is I typed out the word variant as fast as I could, and I could not believe I got it right that many times. I'm pretty sure Spellcheck like, fixed a couple of them for me, uh, or autocorrect fixed a couple of them. But this one, it did not pick up on, and it left it. And when we look back at all the thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of the Scripture that we have, the fragments, the bigger sections, the books, the, the sections of the collections of books, it is very easy to tell on many of these which one somebody, like, which one is not like the other, which one is not the same, right? So it's, I think this is the flagged. Okay, we got it. Great. The challenge comes in when you go to translate the entire Bible. Now, this is my Greek New Testament. Um, and this, I've, I've tagged it because it's, it's really hard to find stuff because everything in here is Greek. Um, <clears throat> even the, the, the headings at the top and the footnotes at the bottom. Uh, and for some strange reason, all the introductory material is in German. Because why shouldn't we just make it harder to use, right? It's just <laughs> stunningly complicated to me why they would do this. But in this, in this version, it has verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23, and then it skips to verse 25. And verse 24 is actually in the footnotes, like it is for many of your translations. Because the King James Version is based off of what's called the Textus uh, Receptus. Uh, it's the majority text is another way it's known as, because we found more copies of it than anything else. And in that version of the Greek New Testament, verse 24 is there. But the King James Version was translated when? Back in the 1600s. We have done more research and more archaeology and more history since then, and we have actually found earlier manuscripts that were not available to those that translated the 1611. And in the earlier manuscripts, verse 24 is not there. So, let me walk you through a couple other things. I want, to, I want you to understand uh, that variants are okay. We would expect to see this. Uh, but when we get the New Testament, uh, even if we... So here's the amazing thing. Even if we didn't have a single manuscript from the first century or second century, we would be able to construct all but 11 verses of the New Testament from the letters that the church fathers sent each other. This is how much they quoted the Bible to each other. So they wrote you, this would be like me writing uh, Grant a letter, and I quoted uh, seven or eight verses of Romans. And you wrote me back a letter, and you quoted me another 12, 15 verses. And I wrote you back, and I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a whole chapter this time. Well, like we could, we could gather together virtually all of the New Testament just from the letters written back and forth. So let me give you an example. Um, the, one of the oldest stories ever known, the Iliad. You guys familiar with the Iliad? How many copies of the Iliad do you think we have? 
Any originals? You think we have any originals? We don't. The earliest record of a copy of the uh, Iliad is multiple hundred years after it was written. And we really only have like six or eight pretty decent copies of the Iliad. But virtually all of you are aware of this because we teach it to you in schools because it's great historical literature. And we have a number with a comma in it of copies of the New Testament. And the number before the comma is not a one, it is a five. So when, when you talk about the historical accuracy, the historical reliability, rather, of the New Testament, and don't get me started on the Old Testament. It's, that's this whole other thing. Um, the historical uh, reliability of the New Testament, there's no archaeologist or historian around that would argue reasonably that this isn't identical to what was written originally. So we, we have tremendous trust and faith in this. Now I want to show you one more thing. <clears throat> Remember how I told you the earliest manuscripts that we have don't have verse 24? So I want you to think about manuscripts as a, uh, a family tree. Because what we, what we call these is uh, family variants. Uh, now, how many trees do I have on the screen? One there's one tree. So make sure we understand there's one tree. We do not have copies of the New Testament from early periods that radically differ in substantial ways. Where, oh, there's this other God that we didn't mention in there. Right? Like Tertius, it's really all about Tertius. Right? I mean, I know he didn't show up very much in the copy that you have, but in other copies, like the whole New Testament's about, no, there's nothing like that at all. Because the family trees vary very, very small differences. So, like this family tree and this family tree, the difference in these is less than 30 verses. So, you look at all the verses in the New Testament and you go, oh, well, that's, that's not a lot. Right? And the difference in these two is like five verses. And then the difference in these, and what, what textual criticism, it's a branch of theology, theological studies, tries to do is it's trying to figure out by comparing these, and there are people that spend their entire lives, and some of you are going, I don't want you to spend any more time in Sunday school talking about it. <laughs> but there are people that spend their entire lives researching and trying to figure out, we think this is the best option for this verse. So here's what I want you, the conclusion I want you to come to. The copy of the scripture that you have in front of you is the most well-researched and um, challenged and historically reliable document on the planet. There has never been... And I'm, not, I'm not talking about the supernatural component of it. I'm just talking about the actual archaeological research gone into it. There has never been another document in the history of the world... And I would venture to say there probably won't be in the future that has had much scrutiny as the Bible has. And it has stood. And it will continue to stand. So you can feel confident that the copy that you have is good. Now, somebody read to me verse 24. Those of you that have this crazy Bibles that have verse 24. What are you thinking here? I mean, come on. <clears throat> and those of you that don't, I want you to look at verse 20 while verse 24 is being read out loud. All right, who's got it? You got it, Tim? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Did you feel any sense of similarity there? Yeah, all right. So, because some of you were deeply concerned when I said that there were verses that were different. About 70% of the verses that are different, either present in one manuscript or not present in another, exist somewhere else in the text. 
So it's not as if, oh man, we have this truth that we just don't know about. Very, very small numbers of verses are not present in some of your Bibles. Now, I want to go back to the word that you used, missing. Here's an assumption that I realized about myself, because I did exactly what you said. I thought, what? Verse 24 is missing, because King James is the standard on which we compare all other things. And I would say, I would like to challenge that assumption. I would challenge the assumption that our starting point is one version. Our starting point are the things that we don't have. Okay? So let's say it this way. These two versions differ. I don't know, because none of us definitively knows that we know that we know what is the right answer here. So here's what I do. I like to use copies of the Scripture in English that have... Footnotes, yes. I want the translation to be very transparent with me and tell me this is what we did. Not necessarily, I don't need to know why they did it. I wouldn't understand why they did it. I just want to know that they did it, right? This is the same reason that when we start in 20, sorry, futures this way. When we start in 2018, if I get this backward, I'm mixed up all day long. Uh, When we start in 2018 and we look at several different books of the Bible, we're going to be going back to the New King James Version. We're not going to use the ESV because I really like the way the New King James italicizes words and says, hey, we've added these. The ESV does not do that. They just, like, it looks the same as all the other words. And then I have to go do all this research and figure out, oh, those words aren't there. This is why it doesn't look the same. And, And it's very annoying from a Bible teaching perspective. So... Literally, one of the reasons I chose the ESV as our translation this year was to have this conversation with you today about Romans 16, 24, so that you would look at your Bible and go, you know what? I feel really good about the fact that we can trust God's word and that we have God's word. And this is a good thing. So, all right, quickly, application and personalization, and we'll get you out of here. Uh, Apply point number one, uh, bad and divisive doctrine will be taught right? Like that's coming. It's happening. It has happened. It will happen. It will continue to happen. Uh, What do we do with that? Avoid those who teach bad and divisive doctrine. This is pretty straightforward, right? Uh, And then number two, the thing that I love about all these people in this this passage that we looked at today is it took a community to care for Paul. I'm not saying the word village. Um, I think community is a more Bible-oriented word, and I think it means something very specific, but it took a community to care for Paul. It took uh, Timothy, Timothy helped. It took Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter and Tertius and Gaius and Erastus uh, and Cortus and likely others that weren't mentioned. So be the community. He put us here in community. How about we be the community? Sounds good to me. So guess what next week is, guys? The doxology. We wrap up the text. And then there'll be one more week of like, so this is what we learned because we covered a little bit this year uh, and we may need a refresher. So just, just a bit. So, so take a minute at your tables and uh, work through your uh, weekly update, uh, praying as a group, if you would, and making sure that your names are at the bottom of that page. Uh, and then after you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed. Thank you for coming to academic Sunday school today. 